There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. Plushcare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. One, two, three, four! Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour podcast with me, Harriet Mintef. This is a roundup of all the best bits from the Badass Women's Hour radio show on Talk Radio. And this week it's like a return to oldest times because Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton are back in the studio. We're talking about Black Lives Matter, what's been happening with them over coronavirus and why it is we're so keen to understand words. Plus, Lucy Beresford joins us to talk about whether or not you and your other half might want to have an open relationship. First up, it's me, Nat and Emma, talking about Nitty Gritty. This is the Badass Women's Hour podcast. A little bit of a warning coming up because we're going to be talking about language that causes offence. So apologies if we say something that is offensive to you. We're not doing it to offend. We are doing it to talk about it. And this is a story that came up this week about some of the wording that is has is part of our daily lives but it's changing. Um, so the first one comes from, unbelievably, estate agents. Um, now, I briefly once had a Saturday job in an estate agent. <laughs> and let me tell you, it is not the most politically correct of places. Um, but apparently, estate agents have decided that uh, they are going to get rid of the concept of the master bedroom. And this is because they've been called out by the singer John Legend, um, who says the term master bedroom is both sexist and also has connotations of slavery. So they just get rid of it. I, I mean, I, yeah. saw, I see where he's coming from. Yeah. yeah, I see where he's coming from. Is it too much? What do we think, Matt? So when I read our running order and I saw this, I was like, what's wrong with the master bedroom? I mean, what else would you call it? And then I thought, actually, we don't even call it the master bedroom here because I've just bought a place mm-hmm. and it, it, we say this, it's either a single room or a double room or it's a large bedroom double. Bedroom one. Yeah. Main room. Yeah. yeah, main bedroom. It's very much a, an American thing. Like this is the master, this is the master en suite. It's, mm. it's, a, it's an American narrative. Um, and then I read the rationale and reason why and I was like, yeah, the slave master, it's a reference to the, the primary bedroom being the slave master's bedroom. So I can mm. see why it's the master. But equally, you know, if I'm a woman and you're referring to the male do- domain as being the primary, yeah, I, I can, I can, I can see why you'd want to change it to primary or, or principal. I mean, I think it's interesting because we are three women who all own our own homes. Congrats! Yes, yeah. uh, <laughs> a little lockdown celebration there. Um, who all own our own homes, and it would not have occurred to me for a minute to mm. think it shouldn't be the master bedroom, and. I 
and I, I consider myself somebody who's quite hot on sexist language. Um, is this? Uh, yeah, I I don't know how I feel about it. I'm really confused, well, and I think this is partly because of the recent Black Lives Matter movement and hearing lots of conversations, which say when we focus too much on the small things, we lose sight of the big mm. things. And then the flip of that as well. I, I don't, don't know. I disagree with that because I I just think that these. These words, like you say, none of us have probably really analysed that word and probably used it and used it in the context of master bedroom and don't think anything of it. But the challenge is when we have these words that are just there and we're using them unconsciously, I feel like subconsciously we're reinforcing old mm-hmm. ways, old ways of thinking. Even if we don't feel like it. So like, well, well, we just say it doesn't really mean anything. I, I think these words do. I'm, I'm actually. I, I do think the small things matter. I do think our lexicon matters because, you know, it, it, it's just language that gets thrown around without being analysed where it's come from. And I think, I think it's important to change. So yeah, main bedroom, no more master bedroom. Well, so you are not alone in thinking that, Emma, because Great. Twitter agrees with you. Oh, well, we love Twitter, <laughs> don't we? <Emma? laughs> uh, so Twitter has discovered that actually there are lots of examples of words like this in programming. So when engineers are kind of coding, they use things that potentially they don't might not be meant in this way, but they are being used in it. So they use the terms master and slave, um, really common in programming language, yep, to kind of show hierarchy. Uh, they use the term blacklist, obviously words that are blacklisted. Um, so they are going through, um, and I'll tell you why they're doing this, but basically Twitter are going through and looking at where their language might be insensitive and how they can change it. And this came about after an email was sent around the engineering team entitled Automatic Slave Rekick because they were doing a piece of programming which was to do with this element they call slave. It was an automatic slave re-kick, which when we say it like that, out of context, feels very clearly uncomfortable. But also it's not inclusive language, though, is Mm -hmm. it? Because, you know, whilst I can imagine a white programmer felt very comfortable with that term, you know, if you're a black programmer, having to (coughs) deal with, with that and use that word every day, like, is that... Like, this is why the words are important. They really Mm -hmm. are important. I think it's interesting that Twitter, of all places, <laughs> has picked up on this because I think a lot of our discussion around language comes from Twitter because Twitter is seen as a place of extremely easy offence. You know, you say one thing wrong on Twitter and thousands of people will tweet you to tell you why you are wrong. And so it's interesting to me that then Twitter, the company, has had to go, oh, hang on. We haven't been doing this internally. We need to have a look at our own words here. I don't think it's just that. So I think, yes, it's um, part of the moment and companies trying to address issues. And in the article, actually, the the Twitter employee that brought it up is a black man who referenced Mm. it before Black Lives Matter happened and they've acted on it now. I think it's also to do with black Twitter. So I'm quoting black Mm -hmm. Twitter. There is a a group of of people, black people, obviously, uh, on Twitter that are very vocal Mm -hmm. about lots of things. Twitter probably recognised that. And yes, um, everyone that's using Twitter doesn't see the programming that goes behind it. But if this was out front and centre, you're probably alienating a huge proportion of the people that produce the content that's on your platform. So they feel the need to address it. And it goes back to the conversation we were having with Orford Emmanuel Jones at the very beginning. Um, companies are 
making moves to act because they recognise the financial impact of not acting. But if you move too quick and you haven't thought about the the end-to-end implications and things, and for me, this is where language is important, you know, the language and the nuance that creates the culture of your organisation, then whatever statement you put out really doesn't mean anything. Um, And so I think it's there are definitely lots of layers. I'm going back to the master bedroom um, comment though. There are probably so many words in the English language um, and in other languages that that we don't know that hold offence somewhere. Not just for black people, not just for people of colour, but for women or mm-hmm. disabled people. And some people say actually it's people with disabilities. So and mm-hmm. it depends. And some pe- some disabled people for people with disabilities. So. I think no one person is ever going to get every single thing right because you just can't be that woke. What's most important, though, is that there's an open dialogue for someone to say if they are offended in that moment, actually, that's not the right thing to say. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is my preference. And that being totally fine and the other person not being offended. So it's really interesting you say that because that actually comes really neatly into the next story here, which is around the phrase nitty gritty Mm. so sky sports have have a list of words that their presenters cannot say (coughs) and they have added nitty gritty to that list because it comes apparently i did not know this apparently it comes from uh slavering times and the it was used as a description of basically the ships after slaves been removed from them and i didn't know that at all and i think i'm like generally pretty good about language and its no, I'm history. No, sorry. No one would know that. I didn't know <laughs> that. I had to Google but, it. I was like, why is it getting now, rid of nitty-gritty? But now you know it, do you now still want to set use the word? Well, now I know it, I'm like, well, that one's out. Yeah, yeah because when you think about it, because no second I was like, oh, I don't understand. Why does, and then I thought about it and I was like, oh my gosh, I do understand what that's referring to. It's referring to essentially the remains of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. that, I'm like, I, I want nothing to do with that. Mm. But I didn't know. And what's, you know, Sky Sports staff, some of whom think fine, and some of them are saying, well, actually, it's making it, in quotes, an absolute minefield, because what if we say things that we don't know the meaning of? Emma, do you have views on this? (laughs) I do, only because, like, the only people that I've ever had the discussion with who've gone, oh, we're going too, too far, it's all getting too PC, and all this feminist stuff, whatever, they always tend to be really privileged white normally men always i never hear somebody who that particular word that we might be talking about that might be offended or it does perpetuate something that does disadvantage a group of people i never hear that group of people going i just think we've all got a bit too pc it's always the people who are like least affected by the thing you're talking about that go oh we've all got a bit too pc no my line is you need to be able to say the word to have a discussion about the word to understand Mm -hmm. the context of the word to then work out whether or not anyone in that group knows the context and therefore it needs to be removed um but if you go if you just do an automatic ban 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 and then everyone's on on tippy toes on on eggshells around everything that you say then actually as, as broadcasters it's really difficult like we don't have scripts i'm sure there are loads of things but don't you think it's your it's your job if you are a broadcaster 
to be aware of of it language. is but something like nissy gritty we i, I did not mm-hmm. know no i, I did and i'm a black woman and i yeah. didn't know yeah uh, i don't think it's my usual language anyway to say it but there are probably other things that i say and so all, all i'm saying is is yes if you're aware of them remove them I'm really worried that we're going to stifle debate and conversation and have people stuttering because they're trying to figure out the words to just say what they they think and what they mean. I'd rather you say what you think and what you mean and we can talk about it than you try and find the exact words and actually the meaning of what you're trying to say is lost. And also I think there's something there which is say what do you think and what you mean and if somebody says to you, by the way, do you know when you say this what you're saying Mm. is this? Be a decent human being goes, oh my gosh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to rethink whether I use it or but not. Thanks for letting me know. Back. That's what I don't think you get, though, because mm. I think, mm. you know, you're right. We need to have a discussion. And like, you know, we've all just been made aware of nitty gritty now and we probably won't won't use it. And that's totally fair enough. What what I don't like is when people go, oh, well, then, you know, they're not even open. They're just immediately like, yeah. oh, well, we can't say anything now. That's ridiculous. I can't mm. say, oh, what well, I can't say master bedroom now. Oh, that's ridiculous. That's what I don't like, because that isn't open. That isn't saying, oh, actually, yeah, th- there's some curiosity there why can i not say oh okay let me understand the context yeah. that's an immediate like you're you know you're repressing me that i can't say what i want to say and that's mm-hmm. ridiculous and that's what i don't have any time for there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care plush care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe fda approved weight loss medications like wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is the Badass Women's Hour podcast. You can get in touch on all the socials on at Badass Women's Hour. I'm a young black man Doing all that I can To stand Oh, but when I look around And I see what's being done to my kind Every day I'm being haunted as prey my people don't want no trouble. We've had enough struggle. I just want to live. God protect me. I just want to live. I just want to live. 
Hedron Bryant there with I Just Wanna Live and the the kind of I don't even want to call it a song just that like absolute emotional outpouring of that started our discussion about Black Lives Matter when we started talking about this I think kind of over a month ago now and I am really delighted to be able to talk about it with Emma and Nat because I think the reason that I can talk about it on Badass Women's Hour is because I've had you two talking about it with me for the last four years and in the break now you said we should talk about actually how we came to talk about it on Badass Women's Hour which I think is really important because four years ago when we started doing this now everyone's talking about Black Lives Matter right when we started doing this four years ago they weren't so I'm going to challenge you there four years ago we were talking about Black Lives Mattering yeah Yeah. Mm. we were good point uh, in in our in terms of the running order, the guests we had on, um, the space to talk about race, but also just having black women in the studio not talking about being black is mm-hmm. really important. Yeah, um, we were doing that, and black women in a studio talking about what's important to them because it's important to them, regardless of the topic, is showing that a black life matters. So we were doing it, and I think you know my thing is. Uh, and there's so much here you need to separate the statement black lives matter from a movement called black lives matter and recognizing where you have for people that have issues what you have an issue with so there are some people that have an issue with the movement but actually you cannot argue against a statement around someone's life mattering and so we have been doing that but it hasn't been an easy journey and we haven't always got it right. Um, you know, someone will go back four years and be like, actually, you didn't say that or that conversation didn't. And, you know, include me in that as, as a black woman because time evolves, language evolves, positions and views evolve. Um, and four years ago was a, a very different worldview in terms of the role of black people. Were, were the Obamas still in power? They 2016 were, just about she was our dream michelle obama was like our dream guest yeah and <laughs> still is so you know this the space of it was all it was all all very different but i am really proud of this show because those voices the voices mm. of black women and black men were always here um and not just because they were black yeah. emma how, how do you think how we talk about the issue of race particularly in the uk but also around the world has evolved on the show and also outside of it in the last four years i i think i think the sh- the show was, was amazing for for me in terms of just i don't know i was just walking around ignorantly in my white gaze and much as i was right hot on the whole feminism thing I wasn't really ignorantly um, and this show really opened my eyes a lot of the conversations that you had Nat there were a lot of things that that you taught me and said that I just had completely no awareness of what was going on and there were many times on this show I've got to say that as a white person with a black person in the room talking that I felt uncomfortable talking about race I had a lot of uncomfortable moments and actually what's happened recently is I've got more comfortable with that uncomfort Mm -hmm. um I feel like I've been able to fast track even more education and I I think I think I realized that much as I felt like I had had an awareness what the movement taught me was that I hadn't really 
gone as deep into that as I should have done. I hadn't really been doing what I could have been doing. So I'd always had like a, a rider so I don't speak on all black um, on all white panels and I will actively put a woman of colour in my place. I've done that for two years and I think that's one of the micro actions. Actually, I think that's one of the, the things that's had the biggest impact that I think that, that I've done and continue to do. But I, you know, I... I felt like I had a business that was very uh, diverse and inclusive, but but it wasn't. Everything that I was reading around Black Lives Matter, it wasn't. So I, f- I feel like even though for four years, I, I every week I was having conversations and learning and having such a, such a beautiful awareness, this, this movement has just taken it to another level for me. And I definitely, you know, like when Wilfred was saying, you know, I think we need to just go a bit easier on, on white people. And, you know, I'm like, no, because now I'm, I'm, I'm actually a bit frustrated and a bit mm. sad that, you know, people like you, Natalie, have had to navigate this white world, navigate it knowing constantly that you are at a disadvantage just because of the colour of your skin. And I was... I was annoyed before, but now I'm really outraged and I'm really I'm really sad about it. Actually, I could cry about it because I just think you shouldn't you shouldn't have to do that in this day and age. And I I really do want to get people talking about it. I don't want white people to be complacent about it. I appreciate why people get offended and they're like, I'm not racist. But please, please do the work because, you know, it's important and you know we we've had this world playing to our advantage for a long long time and you know it's fine but get out of your your white bubble like you know uh, yeah now how do you think the last 6 weeks or so have changed things have they that's a big question harriet <laughs> and and so no so firstly i i want you know i want to say to both you and and M when people are talking about allies both of you definitely are and we had a zoom um call uh and M is always the only white person on the call um (laughs) and we were like you know be kind to yourself in this because you are not the problem yes there's always more people can can do but you are not the person that when you know people out there marching you are not the person that they are they are talking about Six weeks, wow. So, um, I didn't immediately post anything after the, what I call the lynching of George Floyd. And I took some time out and I didn't post because I didn't watch the video. And I didn't post and I said this on my Instagram because I remember Mike Brown. Mm -hmm. I remember Rodney King. I remember Stephen Lawrence. I remember growing up during apartheid. I am of a generation of black people where you kind of have the talk, which is you, you are a minority in this society and therefore you won't be treated the same. And so you have to suck it up and you have to get on with life and you need to see, you know, walk past the statue and don't even acknowledge it. Someone makes, says something, my granny used to always, always say sticks and stones might break your bones, but words will never hurt you. That was the just get on with it because the world is the way that it is and you are at a disadvantage. So what are you going to do to live your best life possible? So the last so the six weeks, have I've been grappling with that suck it up because it was it's a defense mechanism against all of the barriers within society. But if the conversation 
um, specifically coming from the Black Lives Matter movement is about changing all of those barriers. The journey I've had to go on is what is my relationship to those barriers? Because I had to not see them, not engage with them to get to where I am today. And there's also an element of being an entrepreneur and just sort of running through walls. And, you know, I say, on, you know, if you don't invite me to sit on the table, I'll stand on the damn table. There's all I don't ask for permission to do the things I want to do. It's just not not my nature. But I'm having to recognise that that is not the way for everyone. Not everyone has a I'm a do it anyway type mm-hmm. muscle. And it's it's one that you obviously um, build over, over time. And I've also had to look at so there's so there's lots of context that we don't always talk about. But being a black person in the UK, it, we're not a homogenous group. Mm-hmm. So I am. Um, my grandparents came here in in the fifties. My parents were born here, and I'm born here. So my relationship with being British and English, I'm going to include English in in, in that, is very different. I didn't have any problem learning about the Tudors in school because I also learned about the civil rights movement. I didn't have any problem going to the Commonwealth uh, Institute, which was the standard school trip. I didn't really engage with the fact that there was a, a British empire that was built off the backs of not just black people, but Asian people and basically everyone that wasn't. British, uh, European, I should say. I didn't in- engage with that intellectually. And so the journey that I'm going on is engaging with all of these things, all of the things that make up British society and working out if I do have a problem with them or they're things that I can live with. Because this is the thing that people forget. Mm. We have to go back to a life where you just live and get on with it. And I don't want to li- live a life where I have to constantly defend being black or explain because I'm black or deal with guilt or pity because I'm black or because that's the bit that's hard so when you almost ignore it and it's because our first conversation was I do not talk about race if we were talking about race it was like you two can talk about it would say to our producers (laughs) you two can talk about race I am not talking about race yeah because then you only ever talk about race Mm -hmm. and so I'm going on my own journey of understanding what that means to me and what is comfortable but also making sure that I can get on living my best life possible without constantly having to fight with something that I learned to not fight with. Mm. I think that's a really fascinating insight, that point about how do you learn to fight or not fight with something that you had made a decision I was not going to fight with. Mm. And I, I think I remember, you know, ages and ages ago having this conversation with you and we talked about something similar like this. And, you know, I was like, but it, but it's not fair it's not fair (laughs) and and my sort of my ultimate being is always about fairness you know I just I I want fairness and you explain yeah but this is just I've just got to get through it so I think I said let it go yeah 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 you're definitely more (laughs) more (laughs) relaxed about that me and Harriet Harriet, yeah but I think that's an interesting point on it as well Mm. which is and this for me has really come up in the last few weeks is that this is not um in in the sort of the best possible way this is not something for you to have to focus your fight on mm. because that's just another thing for black people to do it's something for white people to focus their own internal moral issues on and have a really good talk with themselves about so i'm going to say something and i held it back i'm going to say it anyway and 
you know, I, you know, I might get called out on this. I don't know. I'm going to say this. Is, it's not my fight. Yeah. I've been fighting it. Yeah. What's going on in, in the world? You know, white people turning up to marches. It's your fight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You take on all of these injustices and all yeah. of the things that I've had to figure out over the last 36 years because it pretty much starts from birth. And you deal with it. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I can get on with my life. Add yeah. me to your procurement. Add oh, me yeah. to your supply chain. <laughs> yeah. Add me into your wealth networks. Yeah. That's that's all you can do for me. Yeah. But I, I have nothing else to give to this. Yeah. Um, and I've all, you know, black women, I'm going to say specifically, mm-hmm. always look for who's not in the room because mm-hmm. we're very aware of our otherness. Okay, maybe we can get it right on everything. Um, and so again, I'm like, I'm inclusive. Yeah. I'm diverse. I I I don't need By to default. write. Yeah, I don't need to write you a manual. Mm-hmm. You write the manual. Yeah, I'm a hundred percent with you. Hundred percent with you. We need to be doing the work, and that's why when I was going back to Wilfram, like I will not tolerate letting white people just be relaxed about this topic. Like I just won't. I'm sorry, but I just won't because we've had it relaxed for so long. We've mm-hmm. had it for, for so good for so long, and it's time for change now. Mm-hmm. Talking of writing the manual, Emma, tell us about something you've done mm. in this period that is literally writing a manual, really. Yeah, well, I, I think with the uh, with the Black Lives Matter, I, everything that was going around, like Natalie was saying, like buying from black businesses, where are they in your business? I took a really good hard look at my business. I, You know, as an entrepreneur, you, you have a lot of influence. You know, you're creating something, you're employing people. And I took a really good hard look at it. And I was, I was able to create something, one, thankfully, to kind of doing my show and, and you guys. So I, I'd, already, I'd already kind of done my racism groundwork. So the Black Lives Matter just is kind of you know polishing off my <laughs> off my edges with my education um but i basically created a, a commitment that we wanted to make as a as a business and i did it because one it's the right thing to do and we were not doing enough as as a business and i knew that we could be um and we put some put some things in place but what i did is i really made sure that we had clear measurable actions and some of them are quite punchy as well like you know we have a a network uh, of creatives our creative community and I want us to get to 33% um, black representation in a year now I don't know if I can do it but at the same time if I I don't want to just push for like well you know black people make up you know what three is it like three percent I don't know what the stat is but there's a smaller stat than my 33 percent and there was an agency in the states that used a 33 percent I thought I'm just going to go for that because if you really if you go for a punchy number I mean I know that running a business you go for a punchy number you really do put in the things in place that are going to help you achieve that punchy number so I'm Mm -hmm. like well why not do that um, for that um, and uh, but also the other thing is I is in a number of uh, groups of agency owners and I tried to kick up a conversation I said look you know what are we doing about racism and I had such pushback such a lot of like well not everybody's into social causes Emma and you know not everybody's on your journey and it was mm. like I'm not on some eat pray love sabbatical here right <laughs> I am trying to create like equality for everybody Mm. Um, and I also wanted to do it as a bit to like you know I, I think I had to appreciate that maybe I was a little bit further ahead because of this this show and I wanted to create something that other, other people could then look at and, and implement too Matt so one of the things that I did so I, I think there's just definitely a generation I'm going to say of, of older white men that um, 
of falling into a, a them and us. You know, these, David Saki, these mm-hmm. black people are now changing everything <laughs> and they want to take down the statues and, 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 and. And I had a call with a friend. She called me and she said, you know, my dad um, really hates the Black Lives Matter movement, thinks that, you know, appalling, they're out during coronavirus and they're rioting and they're raging against the machine. And I said, okay, so speak to him about the miners' strike. Speak to him about the poll tax riot. So people marching because the only thing they could do was fight and shout about the change they wanted to see. And just say to him, maybe this is their version of getting out and just saying what it is they need to say. And I was just trying to search for the closest thing I could think of where people were destructive. You know, there were face-offs with the police and they were pulling down all sorts of things, all sorts of building, you know, know, monuments and and things on on, on walls to make a point. and the lens of when you see white people doing that for something they care about, and if you're working class and in, in that space, it's it's okay. And so I think part of the journey, going back to the conversation thing is trying to, and it's not my job to do, I made her do it, but it's that thing of trying to find the relatable thing to say, this is why the, this group of people are angry. This is why they're using this moment of protest to make their feelings heard. And if you care about life the fact that the default position was black lives do not matter it is very important to make it clear they do so someone cannot just walk up to a black person in the street like they did Stephen Lawrence and kill them and get away with it because they did that with Stephen Lawrence no one has been charged for yeah his his murder but what annoys me though is that for all these stories you know even with what's going on in the states you know, there's people going, yeah, but if you look at the stats, if you look at the stats, like just trying to like whatever comes up with the Black Lives Matter topics or people dying, mm. there'll be another stat where and they'll just try and justify it. Like it's just like there's no there's no openness to really trying to understand this topic. It's still too many people are just closed down on this. Too many people mm. are like, I don't know what they're scared of. Well, I do. So this is interesting. So I know what people are scared of, which is they're scared that there isn't enough to go around. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I have, I can own having that fear. You know, I can own having that fear and being like, well, hang on, if I give away something, what does this mean? Um, and the thing that I always remember when I have that fear is that when I was doing lots and lots of work around uh, equality, gender equality in the workplace, I met men with lots of that fear, mm-hmm. who had loads of that fear, who were really worried that we had gender equality in the workplace, that there wouldn't be any jobs for men. And I can tell you, looking around every workplace today, <laughs> there are still loads of men in jobs. Um, and so if you're a white person like me, you had that fear, like, well, if we give all the jobs away, well, I won't have a job. No, trust me, you will still probably still have a job. But some other people might have jobs too, and that might be really fun and interesting for everyone. This is the Badass Women's Hour podcast. got flashbacks to magic mic then i can't even with this song it's so funny uh so uh, one of i mean one of nat's favorite favorite Mm. sources Mm. ashley madison the website for people looking to have affairs Mm -hmm. has published a new piece of research and the research tells us that uh post lockdown 
one in five married women having had to deal with their other half for four months solidly are intending to ask their spouse for an open relationship yeah (laughs) are we surprised by this well not really i like it you go get them go you like get out there I think uh, some couples have been brought closer together. So friends have sort of said, you know, I, I never really saw my other half. Um, and obviously being in lockdown, we saw each other and we've got so much in common and we've kept each other sane. But obviously for some, that isn't the case. And yes, I do have a thing for Ashley Madison because it opens up <laughs> possibilities of alternatives for relationships. And that's the bit that I like. So what I don't understand is why if you have realized in the past four months that actually the person you wanted to love honor and cherish uh for the rest of your life is not that person after all you wouldn't just leave them why an open relationship because it's expensive if you're Mm. married not many people can afford to do that maybe you like them oh maybe you're interesting yeah and actually maybe you've created a really nice family Mm. unit and you are just really good friends but you just don't have a sex life like shouldn't you be allowed to go and get that elsewhere and let's remember ashley madison is not go and find an open relationship and have a best mate it is (laughs) it's sexual pleasure that's why pony was playing at the beginning of the segment so i do think that um there are people in relationships and they've realized over time they are in relationships with their best friend and it is a nice life and that is okay but from a sexual pleasure perspective they want more and so providing a safe environment for them to find someone else who equally is in a relationship and therefore you're not disrupting your unit unless Mm -hmm. you know everyone falls in love what is wrong with but that? Ashley Madison is mm. not. Let's come here and have an open relationship. <laughs> Ashley Madison is about cheating <laughs> fundamentally. Well, one woman who might be able to help us on whether this is open relationships, cheating, or just a sign <laughs> oh. that we've all got really bored <laughs> of our other halves in lockdown is uh, sex and relationships therapist Lucy Beresford. Hello, Lucy. Hi, Lucy. Hello. Hi, Lucy. Hello, all <laughs> of you. Oh, you yeah. sound great. <laughs> Um, Lucy, why have why has lockdown induced married women into thinking they want to have open relationships? Do you think? I, when you were talking earlier, I thought you were going to be surprised that it was only one in five. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of women would be thinking, "Oh, I don't know how long I can do this for." I think the problem with lockdown is that it was just so intense. And whilst Natalie's absolutely right, it gave us the opportunity to perhaps have some really meaningful and quality time with our partner. And that has worked for some people. For others, I think it has just led them to be forced in a way to examine that intimate relationship and to realize that it isn't fulfilling them in quite the way that they really want. And I think what this survey speaks to is the fact that a lot of women are looking to their own intimate needs. They're looking to their own sexual fulfillment. And if that's not working, in their primary relationship, then they are taking control of that and looking elsewhere. Lucy, do you think we need to have more open conversations about this? So to to Emma and I's point around, maybe you have a really nice dynamic with your partner. You have a, a great life together. You know, your finances are entwined. Possibly you've got kids. But the thing that's missing is that intimacy or sex. I mean, should it be a t- taboo to then say, I'm going to, get that else elsewhere i don't think communication 
on any level is ever taboo, even topics like this. In fact, it's probably more important that you have topics like this regularly with your partner, because obviously relationships and people in them change over time. And it may well be that if you spark the conversation, you may find that your partner is in exactly Mm. on the same page as you. And you're right. People don't always do it because they're looking to disrupt or to rupture their existing relationship. They're often very keen to stay married for whatever reason. Uh, Maybe it's because of the presence of children or that they do have a, a good life with this person. They just don't have sexual fulfillment or they don't have there's an ingredient missing and if you're able to talk to your partner about it and work around that that's absolutely brilliant if it gets to the point where you can resolve things that's fantastic but what often happens is that people go off and they have an affair and it it mm. does cause rupture and that's obviously what my ted talk was about was whether you whether couples could survive infidelity but what a site like ashley madison is doing is it's saying as you, I think it was Natalie who said, these are sites for people where everybody on the site knows what they're walking into. They know that the other person is similarly not necessarily looking for love, but they are looking for some kind of sexual fulfillment. Lucy, how, how easy is it for couples? I mean, to, to avoid kind of getting to the stage where they need to go on a site like Ashley Madison, because, you know, a lot of couples would have spent a lot of time in lockdown, got very bored, even with themselves. I'm sure all of us are like, <laughs> but how, how easy is it when you get to that stage in a relationship when, you know, perhaps your sex life has fallen away, is a bit more of a friendship thing? How, how easy is it to turn around a relationship? Is it something that actually, if you have the skills, you can definitely do it? Or is it not quite as easy as that? Absolutely. No, I'm a firm believer that actually all relationships can be turned around. And lockdown, in a way, was the perfect opportunity, the perfect Petri dish to enable that to happen. Because the alternative was just us living our normal lives, getting into root grooves, getting into ruts, having, you know, heated discussions, and then one or the other going off to the workplace. This lockdown forced us to really think about how to make that relationship work and how to reinvigorate it were we minded to do so. And it isn't just about thinking of new positions or thinking of different times of the day or should I introduce a sex toy? How about role play? It isn't just about the sexual dimension. It's about all forms of communication. Am I valued? Am I heard? Mm. Do I bother to hear my partner? All of those little needs that go to make up a relationship we are hoping that somebody is going to meet those needs for us. And now we've got the perfect opportunity to talk to our partner and actually explain what we want and also listen to what they want too, because we could be we could be disappointing them as well. That's, I guess, where a site like Ashley Madison springs from it. It springs from a lot of disappointment. People have good intentions and healthy expectations about what their relationship is going to be like going forward. And then, you know what, unfortunately, work, family, children, elderly parents, life intervenes, and we disappoint each other. If we can turn that around, if we can listen to each other, and hear the ways in which we're disappointing each other, we've got a better foundation for turning it around. Lucy, how do we... St- how can we use this uh, lifting of lockdown 
to maybe find some more space from our partners without necessarily going all the way and cheating mm. on them. I say this as somebody who has been living with uh, her boyfriend in lockdown and he said very wistfully the other day, do you imagine if we weren't living together, how exciting our sex life would be? <laughs> I don't think he meant it quite the way it came no. out, I hope. Um, but is there something about actually being able to have some space from each other which could help us? Oh, yes. And a little bit of mystery and intrigue. Uh, that That's the almost the, the, the frequency that you see your partner then it does run the risk of being the death knell of it. So you do need to have that growth area, opportunities to give new energy, whether that's just, you know, him going off with his mates and you going off with your girlfriends and chatting about whatever, and then coming back, regrouping. You just bring a different freshness and a different energy to your relationship. And it's why sometimes long distance relationships really thrive because everybody makes so much effort when they get back together and they, they're almost wooing each other every single time they meet. But when you do end up moving in with each other or when, when you end up, you know, having your civil partnership or your marriage, you forget to woo each other. You forget to court each other in a very sort of old fashioned way. And yet that's the way of it makes you feel desired. It makes you feel intrigued about the other person. And you always need to have a little bit of freshness uh, just to keep everyone interested. Emma and I have always been fans of separate houses and if you have yep. to be together then separate <laughs> bedrooms yep. just so you miss each other in the morning yeah I mean not or even separate that. bathroom basins I mean little <laughs> tiny things <laughs> like that really make a big difference and yeah. funnily enough I know of several couples who I'm not saying they live in grand mansions but they have made a point when um, at the beginning of lockdown when everything seemed to be around your immune system and making sure that you've got lots of sleep they decided to sleep in separate bedrooms mm. simply in order to have you know really good quality sort of eight hours sleep and then they'd you know cuddle in the morning and have sex at night or whatever it was but the actual sleeping time would take place in separate rooms but they're much and I'm happier sure that's what I bet they don't go back to the old way do they that'll be their new normal <laughs> post-covid <laughs> Lucy, do you think we are do you think monogamy is on its way out because i see mm. things like one in five of us want an open relationship and everyone's signing up for ashley madison i am i am sort of i i flip between this in that i would never want somebody to go to their deathbed thinking i wish i'd had more sex purely because they coupled up with me and i was like nope it's just me for the rest of your life no one else um but also i'm a romantic i like to think that we meet somebody and we fall in love and we just want to be with them am i I am i deluded well, the problem is that we're all now living to about 120. If you're <laughs> if you're 25 now, and you meet someone, you have the potential <laughs> to be with that person for 80 years. And I don't know whether we've ever thought how to make that work long term. I'd love. I I firmly believe that it can happen, but I'm wondering whether we're going to start to see marriages and civil partnerships take place later in life just because I think people are going to want to have that freedom, that period of time for experimentation. And and what we're seeing a lot now is a lot of people getting divorced in their 50s mm. who are probably thinking along similar lines. Goodness me, I've got another 30 years of this. I've already had 30 years or whatever it might be. And people are looking to kind of change up um, to to keep it fresh and to 
yeah, to not go to their deathbed mm. thinking, I wish I'd had more sex. Lucy, everyone, every woman that I know that is on their second or third marriage says the second or third ones are better because they learn what they thought they knew in the first one and have, you know, put their foot down on, on those things in the second one. And one of those things is definitely space and experimentation and keeping it sexy. Just saying. Oh, gosh, that's an amazing thing to hear, actually, because I've always... I've always believed that and that's what the research suggests. But to hear mm-hmm. sort of anecdotal evidence that that's the case, it has to be. I think we become a lot more choosy second and third time around. And you know your own worth as well. Yep. So you know that it's okay to set proper boundaries. You know that it's okay to not put up with really shitty relationship behavior or disturbed behavior, that actually you are able to say, actually, I'm worth more than this and I'm going to move on to the next one, Mm -hmm. particularly when you're dating. And now that we know that there are so many more options on the dating scene, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, when you were just kind of dating in your village set set up, then then maybe you didn't have as many options. But now, Mm -hmm. quite literally, the world is your oyster. Lots of people are having relationships. I, I know two sets of people who are having relationships in different countries with people that they've met since lockdown. So it's just not phasing people at all. So I think the more that we think about what our value is and, yeah, how much we're worth and that we actually can draw a line under bad behaviour, we're going to be a lot happier in future relationships. I hope so, Lucy. Thank you so much for joining us and giving us your wisdom. Apologies if you heard uh, Lucy's colourful description of a (laughs) a difficult relationship there. Uh, We've all been through it and we all know how it feels. You've been listening to Badass Women's Hour. If you like the show, then help more people find us. You can tag us or talk to us on social media using at Badass Women's Hour. Or you can be really lovely and leave us a review and a rating. Five stars, please. It helps boost us up the podcast rankings and allows other people to find us. We'll be back next week with more badass guests and in-depth chat. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.